0: Alright, well if you look in the bulletin this morning, you'll notice that I have titled this sermon, That Ye May Know. And we're taking a look at Exodus chapters 10 through 11. And what we've been doing here is we've been going through this season of fire. We've been calling our study through the book of Exodus and also this summer season that we're experiencing going back to June through July ultimately ending in August, we're calling it the season of fire. And the reason being is that fire is a metaphor, if you will, uh, used throughout the Bible to depict God's judgment, to depict love, and to depict passion. And even more recently, not only in the Bible, but even in our contemporary culture. So what we're doing is we're marking out this season that as we understand the book of Exodus, which again, the book of Exodus marks out the love of God, the love he has for his people, and it calls his people to have a love for him. It marks out God's passion to redeem his people, and it calls his people to have a passion for him, and it marks out God's judgments so that his people would understand his judgments and therefore live in the reality of those judgments, live in an understanding of those judgments, which essentially we call the knowledge of God. So, what we're doing is in this season of fire is we're not only marking out the Exodus story, as is being told here in the book of Exodus, we're also seeing the correlation between that and the book of Revelation. And then we're also seeing how it applies to our lives. And what I've called this is the three exoduses. Again, you have the first Exodus, which is Israel coming out of Egypt, as we're noting here in the book of Egypt, being led by Moses and Aaron. Then you have the second exodus, which is a theological concept um, called the second exodus motif, and the word motif means pattern, so we see this exodus pattern throughout the scriptures, and then we also see the second exodus pattern happening, and uh, if I, you know, again, I mentioned this last week, and I'll remind us again, uh, Daniel Rogers, uh, speaker at the most recent Preterist Pilgrim Weekend, he has a whole series on the new Exodus that you can find in Scripture. And you go to his website, labornotinvain.com, and uh, he has a host of uh, resources that you can learn and listen to those things that show the pattern of the new Exodus happening in the book of the New Testament. And then you have the third Exodus, which I am positing is our lives, the things that we are coming out of bondage to and how we find application and by looking at these details. And I believe this is fitting because the prophets did it. The prophets used the Exodus again and again and again to remind the people of their call. And I see the same thing being done in the second Exodus in the New Testament as God's judgment was being revealed upon Jerusalem. And then in our lives, I see God's judgment, the plagues, if you will, as we marked out last week, that just as the plagues brought devastation to Egypt, the plagues brought devastation to that which was called spiritual Egypt which I believe is mentioned in Revelation chapter 11 and then the Egypt by which keeps us in bondage and again I think that is a very individual thing so I have said that the plagues while they brought destruction in Egypt they brought a spiritual destruction throughout the book of Revelation upon the first century Jerusalem and then I believe that they apply to our lives as well so what you can look forward to me before I get into my points that I want to mark out in this message, um, what you can expect from me this week actually is a uh, blog that I'm going to go and I'm going to take a look at those plagues and I'm going to show you how they, what judgments they've wreaked upon Egypt in the first century, I mean in uh, times past, in Moses' time, and what they did in first century Jerusalem, the plagues. Um, interestingly enough, um, the plague of lice is the only one that you don't see uh, used in the pattern. In Revelation, that took place in the first Exodus. And then, how do each of those plagues apply to our lives? And I'm of the belief, I'm of the understanding that if we really hunker down and we study them out, that uh, we will see some interesting things about how the plagues, ultimately the struggles in our lives and different things, can reveal um, the destruction of the gods in our lives, just as it brought destruction against the gods of Egypt. It brought destruction against men that thought they were gods in the first century. And unfortunately, in our carnalistic mind, it does destruction to us leaning upon our own understanding and thereby declaring ourselves to be God. So this morning, as we look into Exodus chapters 10 through 11, I want us to mark out three things. And if you're writing notes, I would like you to write down three things. The three things we're going to look at is the hardening of the Pharaoh's heart or the hardening of hearts in general. We're going to look at God's purposes. And we're going to look at God's favor. And then I'll bring all of this to a conclusion. So, instead of reading through the text, I'm just going to... Uh challenge you to make sure you do that. Read through Exodus chapters 10 and 11 and uh, that you're thinking through the scriptures because that's what in my in my understanding we need to be doing is we need to be thinking through these things so that we can find the proper application. So as I did my thinking through the scriptures and I looked at this hardening of the Pharaoh's heart, which I talked quite a bit about last week and uh, mentioned the many different opinions and understandings of why the Pharaoh's heart was hardened, uh, um, I do believe some things are revealed right here in the text. So we go to Exodus chapter 10 starting at verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants that I might show my signs before him. So if you're underlining and you're okay with underlining in your Bible, I would say that I might show these my signs before him is something that needs to be underlined because that's the purpose here. God is hardening the pharaoh's heart that he might show his signs before him. And he continues, and that you may tell in the ears of your son and your son's son, what things I have done in Egypt, and that my signs that I have done among them, that you may know I am the Lord. So he wants his people to be convinced. He wants the world to see the signs, and he wants his people to be convinced. That would be my assertion as to why the Pharaoh's heart is being hardened. You look at contemporary culture and you wonder, why are people's hearts hardened? Because God is showing his wonders, and he wants his people to be convinced. Whether it's our convinced that People's unfortunate idolatry will follow them, as the scriptures remark, God will reward them in keeping with their idolatry. Or if we get to see the beauty of a renewed mind, prayerfully each of us understand our lives to be a testimony to the convincing that God does through his beautiful gospel. So we move into the text, moving over to verses 10 and 11. We read, And he said to them, this is the Pharaoh speaking, Let the Lord so be with you, And I will let you go and your little ones. Look to it, for evil is before you. So go now, you that are men, and serve the Lord, for you that did desire. And they were driven from the Pharaoh's presence. See, what happens here is now the Pharaoh wants to compromise with God. He wants to lean upon his own understanding and say, well, okay, you men have inquired to worship the Lord your God. So I will let you go worship the Lord your God, but you'll keep your children and your wives here. And obviously, this is not how this works. This is God saying, let my people go. This is not just the uh, ways of man where you can compromise and lean upon your own understanding and try to devise a strategy to go against it. No. Obviously, the reason why Pharaoh doesn't want to let everyone go is, well, to maintain control. And the Pharaoh sees that if I let everybody go, obviously, I would be giving up my control over these people. And this is essentially a story about control because God is in control of his people and he's going to prove it. So I would say that one of the things that's revealed here from the text in Exodus chapter 10 verses 10 and 11 is that the hardening of the Pharaoh's heart happens to reveal that man is not supposed to lean upon his own understanding. Moving into verse 20 of chapter 10. But the Lord hardened the Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go. So now the Pharaoh has hardened his heart and the Lord is hardening his heart. And you see the same thing in verses 27 through 29. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart that he would not let them go. And the Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take heed to yourself. See my face no more. For in that day, you see my face, you shall surely die. And Moses said, You have spoken. I will see your face again no more. And I wrote in my Bible, Kick the you know dust off your feet. There's Sometimes the reason why God hardens people's hearts is he wants his people to know that, you know, you said it, you did it, time to go. You, you declared my work, you declared my judgment so that the world may see, but now it's time to move on. Kick the dust off your feet and let's go. And then we move into uh, Exodus chapter 11, uh, taking a look here at verse nine. And the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh shall not listen to you. That, again, this is another one of those things you want to start underlining. Uh, Exodus chapter 11, verse nine that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So the reason why the Pharaoh's heart was hardened was that God's wonders might be multiplied. God is giving himself, as the sovereign God over this situation, he's giving himself the space to do so. He's hardening the Pharaoh's heart because we're going to talk about this here in a moment. We're going to talk about godly repentance. We're going to talk about, see, God did not want Moses, um, I'm sorry, God did not want the Pharaoh to, make a decision based upon his circumstances. That's not what God wants from people. God wants a godly sincerity in our decision-making, especially in our repentance. And I'm going to prove that to you as we go through this message. So a major aspect of God hardening the Pharaoh's heart is that he knew that his heart wasn't really in the repenting. So the Lord hardens his heart even further. Again, beyond reason, as I had mentioned uh, last week, that, you know, me, I'm a... If you ask me my, what my fears are or what bothers me, you know, it's not bugs, it's not frogs coming out of the water, it's not the river turning into blood, it's not all the things, the plagues that you see listed there, although I've never been in a place that was overtaken by locusts. Um, the thing I do know that bothers me is rashes. And then when I get to the text in Exodus and it talks about uh, these magicians were overtaken by boils on their skin, That leads me to a point of saying, you know, that's where I would have relented and repented and said, okay, you can go, get out of my land. But the Pharaoh is so obstinate and his heart is hardened even then so that him, these men, everybody in Egypt is falling in pain due to the sores and they're looking at Israel and Israel is not being affected by the boils. That really does take the hardening of the Lord, at least in my estimation. So that leads me to my next thing. Number two here is we're talking about God's purposes. What can we discern about God's purposes as we read through Exodus chapters 10 and 11? Well, the first one comes right from those two verses we already made mention of, Exodus chapter 10, verses 1 through 2, and it says that God would show his signs and that his people would be convinced that he is the Lord, so that they would tell generation after generation. You go over to Exodus chapter 11, verse 6. Well, I'm sorry, verse 7, and this text gives us the main detail of God's purposes, and it says this, but against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue, against man or beast, that you may know how the Lord has put a difference between the Egyptians and and Israel, that you may know that the Lord has put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. That's God's purpose. You see, the Lord sets his people aside. You read the prophets, you read Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, you read Isaiah chapter 64, verse 2, and you learn about the judgment of God and the purpose of the judgments of God. Well, let's take a look. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 2 is one of our texts. Isaiah 64, verse 2. And when the melting fire burns, the fire causes the water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. So again, you see, uh, the goal of his wonders is that they may be multiplied and that the nations would tremble at the knowledge of God being made known, the manifestation of the wisdom of God. In Haggai, chapter 2, It's one of those tricky books there that's nestled in between uh, Zephaniah and Zechariah. Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, we read, In the seventh month and in the twentieth day of the month came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel the son of Shatil, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is among you that had saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison to nothing? Yet, be strong, O Zerubbabel. Look at the devastation, Zerubbabel, but be strong. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. And be strong, all the people of the land, says the Lord. Notice why he wants them to be strong. I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so that my spirit remains among you. Fear not. You see, God's purpose, again, is to have the nations tremble at his word, have the nations observe his beautiful statutes, as we see there in Deuteronomy chapter, either chapter four or six, or both. (laughs) Uh, um, God wants the nations to see his truth through his people. And the way he does that is by setting a difference between his people, being present with his people and covenanting with them and giving them the promise that I am with you, you have no worries. I want to convince you, I am the Lord and I will keep you. You know, a text that we should be thinking about when we're talking about all of this is Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight should be our cross-reference of Exodus chapter 11, verse seven. For all things work to the good, of those that love God. So what is God's purpose? To convince us of that. When he is present, all things work to the good of those that love God. Even when we're experiencing plagues in our midst. You see it in the first exodus. You see it in the second exodus. And I imagine you see it in your own life. That he is present with us through the struggles. The struggles are there to convince us of the reality that if we are with him, we can have peace. We see that also. Continuing in Haggai Verse six, chapter two, verse six. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once again it is a little while and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, said the Lord of hosts. The glory of this house shall be greater than its former glory, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Again, what is God doing? He's convincing his people of that where his presence is. There is peace, security, and everything that we need at the destruction and the demolishing of the strongholds that keep us away from seeing that. That's God's purposes. So, I believe we've already answered, but let's take a look at this third one. Where's God's favor? How do we find God's favor? Going back to Exodus chapter 11, Exodus chapter 11, verse 3. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of the Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of people. And then, of course, you look at that text. Verse 7. That the Lord may put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. Those that love God. That's where God's favor is found that we might have a love, a passion regarding God's judgments, that we might not only know them, but we would have a love for them and a passion for them. And we would see the fruition of that promise for all things work to the good of those that love God. How beautiful of a promise is that? That's the whole entire purpose of God that he would demonstrate, that he would show the world his wonders, because again, rain falls on the just and the unjust. But that his people would become convinced of that difference. His people would know that where he is present, there is peace. That his people would know that he's always restoring us to a greater glory. He's given everything to us pertaining to life and godliness, as we read in Second Peter chapter 1. Matter of fact, 2 Peter chapter 1 tells us where God's favor might be found. And it tells us how we might be effective and fruitful in the use of the knowledge of God, in understanding his judgments. So bringing all of this to a conclusion, perfectly I have you convinced. Prayerfully I have made it known that you may know the reasons for the hardening of the Pharaoh's heart or the reasoning for hard hearts in our day. That you might know the reasons for God's purposes of bringing forth his righteous judgments. And that you might know where God's favor is found. If I didn't say it again, enough, I'll say it again. For all things work to the good of those that love God. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. In conclusion, I want to bring us back to that hardening of the heart. You know, because again, when we read through Exodus chapter chapters 10 and 11, and as we move into Exodus chapter 12, and we read even more devastation happening by way of these plagues, we should wonder, you know, why is that Pharaoh's heart so hard against the Lord? And then, of course, we come to realization, why is my heart oftentimes hardened against the Lord? And I believe there's two texts that speak to us this morning. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. It's always good to have a proverb that'll give you wisdom. Amen? So Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 reads, He that covers his sin shall not prosper, but whosoever confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. Pharaoh was not a man that was confessing his sins. What he was trying to do, was cover his sins. He was trying to be stubborn against the will of God and compromise with the word of God rather than recognize that he was not God, that his gods were false and that he needed to let the Lord's people go as the Lord was commanding him. But again, the Pharaoh, it was revealed his own stubbornness. The next text I'd like to bring us to, and we'll end here, is 2 Corinthians chapter 7. going to read verses 8 and 10, 8 through 10. This is the Apostle Paul writing here to the church at Corinth. And again, remember, he wrote this first letter to them. And he wrote a very stern letter if you read 1 Corinthians. You know, he he has problems with their... There's a whole bunch of things that they're very problematic at in regards to the transition that was occurring. They're arguing about baptisms in, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. They're arguing about... uh, They have men in the church doing things that they should not be doing with uh, women. You know, they have... uh, they have people denying the resurrection of the dead. They have all these things. They have a man that needs to be removed from the congregation. They have all kinds of things that the Apostle Paul wrote a pretty stern and uh, admonishing letter that brought them to repentance. And listen what he says here in Second Corinthians chapter seven, verses eight through 10, "For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent, for I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though it were but for a season." Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. Sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner. Interesting. That you might receive damage by us in nothing. Even godly sorrow works to repentance and repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world works death. Why? Why? Because there's a godly repentance that is sincere. And it's not based upon circumstance. But it's a true, sincere repentance of the things that are being done. Again, the church of Corinth had many things to repent of. And the Apostle Paul wasn't doing it to burden them, he was doing it to build them up, to edify them. And that's why the Lord hardened the Pharaoh's heart. And may I end on this point this morning? We are cold to be a people who have a godly sorrow. We are called to be a people who understand the hardening of the hearts, who understand that we're not called to lean upon our own understanding, that we're not called to you know, compromise with the word of God. We'd be a people that understand God's purpose of creating a difference between those that love him and those that don't. Those that love him when plagues are they are, are revealed in their lives It's to their edification because all things work to the good of those that love God. And we know that in Christ is where God's favor may be found. That is the new covenant demarcation of that which makes his people separate. That is the second exodus that was made known. That is the third exodus that prayerfully is at work in our lives as we're seeing the reality of 2 Corinthians chapter 10 where our warfare is the demolishing of strongholds so that all thoughts would be made captive to Jesus Christ. Let's pray this morning. Mighty God, we do indeed thank you, Lord, for the work of the Spirit that leads us to godly repentance. We thank you, Lord, for your truth. We thank you for the Spirit that illuminates the word, Lord, that without the the Spirit illuminating the word, Lord, we would have nothing. We would not even begin to understand or ponder spiritual things, Lord. Lord, we do thank you that you have made this demarcation that those who love God, for those who love God, all things work for their good, Lord. Or if we're going to say it properly, all things work for the good of those that love God. Lord, convince us of that reality. Thank you for making your judgments known. Thank you for doing more than enough in regards to showing your miraculous wonders, Lord, thank you for convincing us of the difference. Thank you for convincing us that you are the Lord. Again, Lord, we hearken back to the details of last week's sermon in your judgments, taking notice that you are the Lord. There is none like you, that you are in the midst of us, and that the earth is yours. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for such judgments and such wisdom that you have given us, Lord. We thank you for the convincing you have done. And we know and trust you'll continue to provide the increase. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.